All right, welcome to Breaking Balls, episode 61. Bob, whether it be NASCAR or IndyCar, yellow flags seem to rule the weekend. And move on over, Anheuser, because there's a new dominant push in St. Louis. That is right. At Kyle Busch for his third win of the season, held off a couple of restarts. Big start to the year for that team, and his brakes held up. Can't seem to say that about it. Feels like half the field, but we'll break that down. Plus, Corey LaJoy and Carson host of ours ride swaps this weekend. Gentlemen, start your engines, brothers. All right, everybody. Episode 61 of the Breaking Balls podcast. Fresh out of East St. Louis, Illinois, they'll uh, they'll call it Gateway Motor Speedway, the uh, the gateway to the West at all, uh, the door basically to your backyard out there in California. But um, it's a it's a three G kind of night. Kyle Busch with uh, his third win of the season. You know, at Gateway Motor Speedway, it's it's actually kind of important that we had what is widely known as a gateway drug on the winning car. So. Whether it be the gateway to the West or the gateway to a life of crippling addiction, it's completely up to you. But let's not bury the lead here, Bob. Kyle Busch sits on the pole, sits on top of the entire field today as the winner. I mean, it, it seemed like there just wasn't too many challengers to Kyle Busch's throne today. It seemed like he was pretty dominant from start to finish. What did you think, Bob? Yeah, um, it definitely felt like it was one of those more straightforward races where the best car ended up winning today. Uh, refreshing that, you know, in NASCAR, it feels like a lot of times we don't get to say that. So um, the last few weeks, it is kind of nice to, you know, Blaney last week, Kyle Busch this week, two very deserving winners here. Uh, had a couple of, you know, restarts there where, you know, could have been chaotic here. But it felt like today, um, outside of Kyle Busch, maybe Ryan Blaney was the only other guy that might have been able to match his speed up at the front. Um, I know Kyle Larson, you know, was there at the end there, but at it kind of felt like he was holding on just um, for position there with, with the tires the way they were and, you know, the way the, the cycle ended up shifting out. Um, great day for the five team ended up, but um, I don't think anyone's shocked that that eight team ended up getting by him. And it felt like once he cleared him on that last restart, it was over. Yeah, I agree. It, it was certainly a race of pitch strategy. Uh, one of the few times this year where it was very clear the decisions that were being made on pit road um, were very much affecting the race. I mean, you saw Kyle Larson get into the track position that he was by taking two stops on a you know a stop where everyone else took four. I think with about sixty left, and you know a, a big testament to Kyle Larson as a race car driver to be able to hold on to the car for that long. I mean, especially on two tires, but. At the end of the day, once it kind of started getting to those, you know, the the four or five restarts we had there at the end of the race, it, you just knew he didn't necessarily have the stuff to win the race. Um, obviously, you know, you don't, you, you kind of feel for Denny Hamlin because I think with a little bit of better track position, there may have been a chance. But, you know, like you said, I think Blaney was really the only true contender all, all day long. And, and at the end of the race, I mean, Kyle Busch just blew him out of the water. All credit to that eight team. They they were just sick fast today. No, strong, strong team today. Strong performance from the eight team. It feels like when that team unloads and, you know, they've got the right setup, they are really, really tough to beat. And when they're, when they don't come away, you know, with the right setup out of Charlotte, it's a long day for that, for that eight team. So um, everything was clicking. It was clear once he got pole there, Ad, but. Um, I'll no, say this, Bob, just the way that Kyle Busch in the matter of a year 
has completely changed his persona in the sport. I mean, he's gone from a total heel to, you know, you almost want to see the guy win the race because you know his family's always at the track. He really seems to have turned the corner after, you know, after all the controversy and stuff that followed him last year with where he was going to drive. You know, as as soon as he got into the seat, it seems like he's settled, settled in very nicely, kind of wearing the position like a glove, and it seems like it's working out for all parties involved. It, it seems like that fit has just kind of kept the momentum going from Tyler Reddick last year, where uh, that team was, like you said, they were they were mad fast last year. Uh, you know, they had a lot of speed. It was just, could they finish races with Tyler Reddick? It, it wasn't the, the speed part for the eight team. It was just finishing those races. And you're starting to see, I mean, he's already at three wins this year. Having Randall Burnett stay on, that team being the crew chief, I mean, he's uh, one of the better crew chiefs in the NASCAR garage. So having him lead that team is also huge. Um you know, the biggest thing at is he doesn't have to worry about where he's driving next year. He doesn't have to worry about any of that. That noise is blocked out. He he's a driver. He's a driver first more than anything. And you know, when you have that outside noise, I think it was clear last year that you know he needed a a fresh start. He needed something new. And you know, the last two or three years at Joe Gibbs were even evident. You know, the the, the performance was starting to downtick. The, the wins weren't there, and already this year, three wins. I, I mean, the results speak for themselves. That he, he's a, he's a playoff favorite, a championship four favorite for a reason, and um, you know it. Ju- it just goes to show that even on a, a shorter flat track like Gateway, Kyle Busch is a threat. Yep, he's always going to be a threat at a track. I think anywhere where the driver really has you know really matters or has that you know you have a distinct advantage, uh, given the driver, you obviously have to look for the Kyles, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, and those two. You know, work and big part of this race and I don't think that surprises anybody. Bob, you mentioned that, you know, Tyler Reddick in the eight car last year didn't have a ton of uh, success finishing races and sadly that kind of followed him today, but wasn't necessarily a unique issue to him. We uh, we talked more about brake rotors today than we ever have in the history. My short history as a NASCAR fan, I mean, they were just blowing up left and right. I mean, it felt like I was watching a budget brakes commercial. It just, it felt like every fifty laps, somebody's somebody's brake rotors would go. Um, I know we were kind of talking, adding just to kind of write it down here, just to keep track. Uh, just for my tally and for everyone at home here, I've got Carson Hosevar, Noah Gragson, Tyler Reddick, and Bubba Wallace all uh, basically their their brake rotors. It looked like it was their right front would just basically explode going into a turn into a corner and. I mean, hasta la vista, that was kind of it for those four cars today. It was essentially if if Fox at any point of the broadcast said something positive about, about you being like good for the future of the sport, there was something that went wrong with your brake rotor today. Because whether it was Carson Hosefar, Tyler Reddick, Noah Gragson, anybody who got any sort of positive publicity from Fox, their brake rotors went out almost instantly. Obviously... You know, luckily for Carson Hosevar and Tyler Reddick, they were kind of able to keep it on the wall. But, man, that hit that Noah Gragson took was ugly. I mean, I, I don't know where Kurt Busch was watching this race, but he certainly was wincing watching that collision. I think he said to Jamie Little after in the in-car or the, the, the in-care center interview, he said something, it was a big-ass hit or something. I mean, that's, that's that was a hit 10, 15, 20 years ago where – we were holding our breath and making sure that driver's net comes down. So I'm glad to see he's okay. Obviously, that's a you know a big deal. Both 2311 cars having their brakes go down. You know, I'm, maybe it's just coincidence. I don't know. But you know, the way this track rolls out, where it's a longer straightaway, and then heavy braking into the corners, it's kind of like the Martinsville or the New Hampshire, where 
you know, later in the day, you can see those brake rotors start to glow. You didn't really see that today. I'm not sure if it was the heat or just the, you know, the combined way that they were just kind of hitting the brakes today. But I mean, four of them exploding in very similar fashions at definitely something that we've got to watch moving forward. And especially in these shorter track packages, because we've got New Hampshire still on the calendar, like I said, and we've got a, a Martinsville race that kind of crucial. It's the, the race to get into the championship for. So, you know, have to note this moving forward. Definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, it just, I guess the thing that shocked me the most, to be honest, was just the violence of the explosions. I mean, you just don't often, like, obviously you kind of expect that when a tire goes down or something, but just to see something like that was very jarring. Obviously, you know, really glad to see that everybody kind of turned out okay from that whole thing. But, you know, Bob, we we mentioned his name, and uh, kind of the more interesting story that came out this week from NASCAR was... Corey LaJoy was going to get his chance. The biggest, what I consider to be one of the biggest what-ifs in NASCAR. What if Corey LaJoy was in better equipment? And he gets the chance today with the nine. Carson Hosevar steps into, into what was Corey LaJoy's car. We do the old Cupid shuffle right into it. But, Bob, I don't know about you, but if you're a Corey LaJoy fan, you've got to be disappointed, Right. Well, listen, listen. We'll we'll do good cop, bad cop here, Ad, because I know you're ready to pile on Corey. I know you're ready to stack those pennies about six feet deep into the ground here. So, listen, I'll go ahead and handle the Carson Hosevar thing here first because, you know, first of all, the ironic part is that Carson Hosevar is getting his cup debut uh, because a driver was too aggressive and, and wrecked another vehicle on the track. If you've noticed Carson Hosevar's, you know, history, short history of the truck series, talented young man, one truck win and a lot of baggage with it. Um, you know, he's not shy about throwing the bumper on people. If he doesn't like you, he'll he'll tell you on the track. Um, but that being said, very marketable. I think he's, you know, got a lot of talent, like I said, just young. Um, to come in today, you know, and run basically top 20 the entire first stage and a half. I mean, that Spire car, you know, we even talked about it a couple weeks ago where they're in a decent spot in the playoffs just running, you know, that top 20, 25 speed. But, you know, a guy in his cup debut at a, a track that you're shifting – 10, 12 times on a lap, came in and looked like he belonged. I mean, didn't look like he was overwhelmed at the moment. We've seen a lot of guys come in in their debut ad, and they've you know, run 30th. They've struggled. They've wrecked in the first stage. Uh, it's a shame that we kind of were robbed to see how he finished the day, but um, I think more than anything, Carson Hosfar is the big winner today as far as uh, outside of victory lane with Kyle Busch. Carson Hosfar today uh, came away just looking great. Yeah, and it was way better than I think anybody really could have expected. Um, I, for one, thought he was going to be a little bit in over his head. Just obviously, you know, it, it's one of those things. There's a big difference between the truck series every week and then immediately going into Cup. And, of course, you know, last week he got the chance to run the Xfinity car. But then again, that's completely different and kind of goes – it's more – It's he's more acquainted with it because of his background and stuff like that. But – but just like you said, kind of robbed, obviously, something he can't control with that brake rotor exploding. Just would have loved to have seen what that finish was. But, you know, Bob, here's what I'll say about Corey LaJoy, because obviously there, you can't put a bow on it any other way. This was not – this was literally one of the worst-case scenarios for him to not only go out in better equipment, but then to get outrun by the equipment that you're currently in. I mean – Obviously, if, if anybody's excited that Carson Josefar didn't get a finish in the race, it has to be Corey LaJoy because then there's at least that plausible deniability that you wouldn't have got outrun. But, 
I mean, it's just a tough look. I mean, this was the opportunity that you've been begging for. And you go out and you just kind of lay an egg. I, I obviously, you know, it's really hard because it's such a small sample size. And that nine car hasn't necessarily been running awesome this year. Um, whether that be just, you know, some of the, the turmoil that surrounded Chase Elliott's year with the broken leg and then now the suspension. Or what exactly it is, I'm not sure. But I, for one, would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of Corey LaJoy in this opportunity. Especially because it seems like at any given time, there's someone in NASCAR talking about what it would be like if Corey LaJoy had a better had a better equipment, had a better ride. And this small sample size kind of showed me it wouldn't do anything, which is sad. But- it, it, it's a shame the way it went down just because, you know, he is running in the top 20, 21st, 22nd. I, I have to see how it shuffled up after tonight in point standings. I mean, he's doing great in the Spire car today or this season leading up to today. And, you know, obviously didn't take the opportunity. Um, that said, it's not like this nine team has really been running strong. I mean, you could go back to last fall even, you know, I don't know if it's the nine team, if it's a little bit of Corey LaJoy. I, I, I really don't know here. And it's, I don't want to just go ahead and trash him completely because, you know, it, it's so different, the circumstances and the track and everything here. Um, you know, they didn't even have SMT data halfway through the race from that point on. And then it's just Alan Gustafson on, on the on the box. And, I mean, good luck with that. We, <laughs> good luck when you've got Alan Gustafson calling the calls and there's nobody in Charlotte to back him up there. So, it's tough. I'm not really sure what to make of it there, Ad. But like you said, it's it's definitely not a good scenario because the people that are always saying, well, what if Corey LaJoy was in a top ride? We got to see it today. And, you know, different tracks, obviously. But Josh Berry in his you know brief stint in that 48 car and even in the 9, looked like he belonged at least somewhat. You know, even a second-place finish back at, um, I think it was Dover, I want to say. But regardless, you know, just not a great look back here for Corla join his debut with a, a major team. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, part of this, it's, it's hard to deal with or hard to kind of digest because this was not Chevy's best day at the track. I mean, let's call it what it is. Obviously, you know, they have the winner in Kyle Busch who was dominant all day, but in large part, this race was dominated by Fords and Toyotas. I mean, it, it looked like that was going to be, you know, we were definitely going to get a winner from anybody but Chevy today. And, you know, lo and behold, obviously, the restarts shake out as it is, and Kyle Busch is at victory lane. But, I mean, there was a lot of very good performers today, Bob. I mean, just to think about it, we kind of have mentioned it a little bit, but Colic, Colic Racing was a, a team that stepped I mean, I thought really stepped up, really had a good day. Yeah, uh, you know, as far as the Chevy-wise, yeah, it wasn't, you know, no bones about it. This is not one of Hendrick's more stronger tracks. You didn't think they were going to come in here and light it up here. Kyle Larson even, you know, it wasn't off pure speed. They finished there. But, you know, to see a team like Colleague, you know, I think it was 14th and 16th between Almondinger and, and Haley themselves. You know, that just goes to show that they, you know, showed up today and had a little bit more of a step because, to be honest with you, Ad, I know, like you said, the Chevy was the one in the victory lane, which you know kind of seems like rinse repeat this year. But Ford and Toyota did have speed today, especially in the top 10. You know, especially Penske, credit to them. I mean, whether it was Joey Logano, who ran around top five to top seven all day. Obviously, Ryan Blaney was probably the second best car uh, on the track. And then Austin Sindrick, who, you know, we have had, you know, no mince. We have, you know, minced no words about his sophomore slump here. 
had a decent-ish run. You know, had a little calamity we'll talk about here in a little bit. But um, a 13th place finish is something that two team needed just because they need to get you know on the right direction. And then even on the Toyota side, add uh, you know 2311 had a, a brief moment where they had both their guys in the top you know 10 to 15 before their their troubles. But Truex to Hamlin, you know, pretty strong day. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Bubba Wallace was, I think this is the first time he's finished outside of the top five, I think, in the past four weeks. So, you know, just an unfortunate ending to the streak there with the rotor issue. But another Ford team that kind of had a really sneaky good day was Front Row Motorsports. I mean, the broadcast was dogging Michael McDowell for constantly taking two, you know, two tires every stop. But at the end of the day, when it counted towards the end, he made it work. And he found a way to be very comfortable in that car for a top 10 finish. And Michael McDowell spun in the first stage. People forget that. You know, he did the same thing where he took two tires early, got spun out there. Uh, they, you know, the crew chief said he got Chastain there, but, you know, I think it was just Ross hitting the rumble strips and, you know, nowhere to go. But, you know, I mean, Michael McDowell turned it around there, Ad, and I think Todd Gilland even ended up there. I believe, what did he finish there? Four? I think 14th? 14th or 15th? 15th there, so. Yeah, 15th. No, I mean, like you said, 14th, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, strong, I mean or, strong day for front row. Yeah, I'll say this too. I mean, we're, we often talk about his teammate, but another guy who had a very good day was Daniel Suarez. Um, obviously, we're getting close to Sonoma, so his name's going to come up more and more given the fact that he won there last year. But talk about a guy who, in the back of the pack today was where all the interesting racing was going on, and it seemed like Daniel Suarez was consistently positioning himself in, in such a way that he was able to benefit from some of the risks that some of the guys were having to take back there in order to get position. You looked up at one point about halfway through the race, and uh, there was a pit cycle that came out, and Suarez ended up being the top five there. And you looked up, and you said, wait, whoa. And, you know, he hadn't really been up here. He hadn't been a factor all day. And it wasn't like he was going to challenge that top four-ish, you know, the Blaney's, the Hamlin's, and the Kyle Bush's. He didn't have the speed to compete with them, but, you know, he was hanging around the Joe Logano's. And, and you know, it seemed like those, those guys were battling there about the sixth and seventh position. So Daniel Suarez, who... Has had a rough, you know, four to five weeks after a pretty good start to the season. The first month or two, uh, really needs to get some of these runs going, especially going into next week where he won at Sonoma last year. Uh, nice to see that '99 team kind of get a little bit of mojo back because add the Trackhouse Garage. I don't know what's going on. I mean, Ross Chastain today, twenty second. You know, this is I think the third or fourth race in a row. Going back to the you know Darlington incident with Kyle Larson, you had Justin Marks come out and say we're talking to Ross. Is this just a you know run of bad form? It should be kind of be concerned because I believe Ross jumped down to I think seventh or eighth now in the regular season championship. He was leading for about six to eight weeks, you know, up until the last you know month. Yeah, it feels very weird. Um, it, it kind of feels like we're trying to put a little bit of a saddle on a wild horse here, um, which I think ultimately they may regret. I mean, I would rather have to you know have the conversation and try and rein Ross in every now and again and let him cross the line and kind of have the conversation after, as opposed to making him nervous to cross it. Because let's face facts, Ross Chastain is at his best behind the wheel of a race car. When he's pushing the issue, he's being very aggressive. He's making people make decisions on the fly. And it feels like he is not able to do that right now. Um, feels like he's definitely in his own head, trying to be maybe even a too little, a little too respectful for even just his style. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to stick with what got you there. You have to, you know, show up. You show up with the date that you brought to the dance. And Ross's date is being an aggressive driver. And I think the further he gets away from that, the further he'll be from 
being successful. You know, it it's a shame to say, but he's got to drive like that to be to be in the top echelon of this sport. No, one hundred percent. I mean, it's it's to the point now where we're thirteen months removed from his last win. Uh, obviously, he's had speed. It's not the speed part. It's just you know finishing these races and the last few weeks. I think it's just kind of the, a run of luck, maybe, but. Uh, you've seen that with drivers before where they, you know, get a run of luck and then you'll blink and all of a sudden they're near the cut line for the playoffs. So, you know, the, the more people start to win here in the next couple of weeks, that, that, that room for error is going to, you know, be razor thin here. So, you know, that one team is going to have to turn things around soon. Yep. Well, Bob, we talked about the best of Ford, but we also need to talk about the worst of Ford because Brad Keselowski had a very tough day on the racetrack. Um, multiple laps down just couldn't seem to get anything going i i mean he he made ryan blaney's day easier because he gave him an easy pit exit but other than that i mean it, it i read on twitter where you know people were saying at the racetrack you know you could hear keselowski's engine in the first and second stage coming around and it was almost sounded like it was sputtering or it was just for whatever reason that uh that six car was not it today and um you know we've talked about consistency in the last few drivers we've discussed They've been on the good side, RFK has. They've put themselves in a great position. And, um, you know, Chris Buescher finished 12th today. It wasn't like it was the team's performance. I think there's, for whatever reason, the engine just kind of, you know, gave out on him today. I'm I thinking it's just more bad luck than anything because I think Buescher's performance indicates that RFK is still trending in the right direction. Yeah, it, it was just kind of random to see because, like you said, we've just become accustomed to week by week them kind of taking that that snail's pace approach and just slowly but surely waking their way up the leaderboard. So to kind of look at, you know, whenever you look at the top 20 on the, you know, on the side of the screen as you're watching on TV, you kind of expect to see Brad's name and such when you don't, you see he's a couple laps down it, it you know, it was pretty shocking. But other than that, um, you know, I know the big surprise for me this week was, um, I don't know why it constantly surprises me, but man, can Chase Briscoe get any unluck here at this point? I mean, the only guy, probably the only guy who went finished the race more laps down than Brad Keselowski. I mean, between the he ran into, I believe Noah Gragson's brake rotor that you know put a hole in the radiator, and then you've got his points penalty that was announced at the beginning of the week. There were, I believe, it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's like one hundred twenty-five points. I mean. It put him down in the 30s, I believe, in the playoff position. I mean, it basically crippled the season to where they have to win. I think they were in that point anyway for the 14 team. So this doesn't really change much. But, I mean, when it rains, it pours. And that SHR camp, outside of Kevin Harvick, really struggled today. I, I really expected Ryan Priest to have a better day with his background being modified in short track flat racing. This track really does kind of key into him a little bit better. I mean, you go back to that Coliseum performance in LA ad, Ryan Priest was kind of that guy that stole the show and had a chance to kind of steal the dark horse win there, but, you know, ultimately kind of sputtered out there toward the end. This is a similar track and style, and it just was not there for the 41 team, obviously the 14 team, and Eric Almarola just, you know, not there either. So unlucky for, for Kevin Harvick to kind of lead the way there, but uh, there's one guy I got to mention as well that was unlucky today, Ricky Stenhouse. That 47 team was running top 10 almost all day for back-to-back -back weeks now with the Coke 600. And, you know, they are not a one-off team as far as the playoffs are concerned, as far as, you know, the Daytona fluke win. They've got good, legitimate speed. And, you know, then Sindrick kind of goes into Austin Dillon life in the fast lane. They take each other out. And 
basically Ricky Stenhouse broke the turn turn one uh, safer barrier. But uh, rough day for the 47 team. The finish was not indicative of how they ran. No, 100%. And I think that, um, you know, that kind of transitioned pretty well to the guy who I was going to talk about next. And that's Christopher Bell. I mean, talk about a guy who just, who had spun, constantly was going to the back of the field, seemed like he was kind of on an elevator all day, ends up finishing 11th in this race, which, I mean, all credit to them for just kind of hanging in. But real quick, Bob, just to read the top 10, just so everybody's got it. 10th, Kevin Harvick, and we're going to go, obviously, in ascending order. So Kevin Harvick, Michael McDowell, William Byron, Daniel Suarez, Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Ke- Kyle Larson, Kevin Larson, lol, Julie Logano, Denny Hamlin, and Kyle Busch. Um, any, any, anybody in that list surprise you or shock you after watching this race today? Not necessarily. Um, I will mention that Martin Truex uh, did take tires around like the 20 laps to go mark when one of those cautions came out. Battled his way back up into the field. Bubba Wallace was kind of right behind him before his brakes gave out. But um, Truex was slowly kind of battling his way up through those restarts there. So, um, of course, a shout out to him. And again, Michael McDowell. I mean, say what you want about the team, but you know that's a, that's a, a a run that that team can be proud of because it wasn't like they, you know, just fluked into a late restart. They held on. They held their ground for 40, 50 laps when they put themselves in position too. So, uh, credit to that 34 team. That's a, a way to kind of you know maximize your day yep well bob i I think we've covered everything on the track and you know the beginning of this podcast for us we oftentimes don't let you peek behind the curtain but we're having a little bit of technical difficulties and it kind of felt on brand for the day because bob are we working for fox now i mean there was a moment there where right they come back from break carson host of ours just hit the wall i was actually literally just telling you, Ad, and a couple other people I was texting with about the race, that Carson Osvall looks great today, and then they cut back from break, Carson Osvall is literally going into the wall, and then it glitches out for a second, and it cuts to horse racing. I'm just, I'm so lost here, and then all of a sudden, get Jamie Little, Larry Mack in the studio. Um, yeah, apparently there was some kind of issue with AT&T Fiber, was what the track manager said, but basically Fox went down, MRN, the radio broadcast went down, the entire Wi-Fi went down, so like all the teams couldn't communicate with their teams back in Charlotte, and um, there was oh, and the and the track TVs went down too. So I mean, it was literally like an EMP had hit St. Louis, which I mean could just be St. Louis, just you know somebody didn't pay the power bill. But um, I'm beginning to blame AT and T Fiber for this one. Here's what I'll say, and this is what the broadcast uh, woes kind of reminded me was, you know, NASCAR has. Um, a bit of a spotty history with hot mics. Maybe, just maybe, we should make sure that Mike Joy, of all people, and Kyle Larson understand when they are on a hot mic and when they are not. Because there was too many times where we came dangerously close to something maybe slipping out. And I don't know, Bob, every single time, it seemed like every single time we came back from a commercial break, we were getting a hot mic of some sort. And I was just waiting for something bad to happen. It's also interesting just because you, you've got the issues going on today. Back in, I want to say it was like 2020, maybe 2021, the truck race that was at uh, Gateway. It was a night race on a Friday or Saturday night. And they had the entire transformer blow outside the track to where the power went out. And that was a multi-hour delay there. So um, just, you know, the other technical difficulties when we're back at Gateway. It just you know, twice is a little bit mysterious. If it happens a third time, I'm, I'm going to, you know, 
I'm going to be raising some suspicions here. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about it, the facility, just yet, because I love the race that it put on. I think there was a lot of good racing, um, you know, especially all the way through the field. I think it's a fun track to go to, for sure. Um, but, yeah, Great crowd, too. Great crowd. Yeah, all, always a great crowd. That's the big thing. It, it, it seems like, with the amount of people that are showing up to the racetrack, we should be able to pump a little bit more money into the facilities, make sure the Wi-Fi is strong enough to broadcast, but... I don't know. I don't make those types of decisions, but who am I? You know, I mean, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I mean, I, you know, I, they've got enough money. Now this is the third straight week they've sold out at the track, I believe, if not fourth for NASCAR. So um, it is great to see that the crowds coming back and staying. That's the biggest thing. Um, but it seems like, you know, motorsports in a whole, the ratings were pretty strong for all weekend last week. Ad. I mean, IndyCar, NASCAR, F1, all. Yeah, people are watching racing again in America. It's great to see. Yeah, and I mean, today, you know, it was, of course, due to inclement weather because why would we schedule something like this? But talk about IndyCar being the perfect appetizer today for the race. Just the tail end to, you know, to really just kind of fill the gap between that since the first few laps of the NASCAR race and the lightning delay. It just makes you think, why are we doing this on a more consistent basis? And why aren't we just... If I were NASCAR and IndyCar, I would look to be putting, you know, putting ourselves on the same network and just doing it in order like that because it, it makes a racing fan Sunday so much better. It, it makes it just easier because, especially for IndyCar, and again, the, we're in a perfect world. Fox and NBC can get together and make this work. Once NASCAR moves to NBC in a couple of weeks, hopefully it's a little bit more in harmony. But there's no reason where IndyCar and NASCAR should both be going green at 2.30 Central Time. You know, for whatever reason, you know, Detroit is Central Time, St. Louis is Central Time, or no, Detroit's Eastern Time. So you could really move that race up even if you really wanted to. But it really hurts IndyCar more than anyone because people like us had who aren't maybe necessarily diehard IndyCar fans but love racing, we're going to watch if it's on. But if it's on when NASCAR's on, we're going to pick NASCAR. So um, it worked out great. It was just like last weekend with Memorial Day where you have F1 in the morning, you have IndyCar your midday, and then NASCAR with basically a six-hour marathon at night, it feels like, but uh, maybe we'll cut the hours down a little bit on NASCAR. I know it was only a 300-mile race, but kind of filled the broadcast window fully like last week, and uh, I mean, again, I'm just glad that you kind of can watch it all because uh, it's all so different, but you know, the IndyCar racing has been really good this year. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Um, yeah, obviously, I think both races just had an abundance of cautions, which, you know, Fun to watch the restarts, but just kind of makes it choppy to watch. And obviously, they always go to commercial or at the very least side-by-side. Side. So, not awesome for the at-home experience. But, I mean, the, I think the more coordination we can get between India and NASCAR, the better off our lives as racing fans get. So, I, I did kind of think watching this because this was the Detro the Detroit street course. This was the first time they'd run that course at I was just watching this thinking, this is going to be NASCAR in a few weeks with the Chicago street course. NASCAR's never really done anything like this uh, recently. I mean, it could go well, could be a calamity, but you know, with those street courses, there's really no room for error. There's nowhere to go. And what I'll say is the most interesting thing that I saw from the IndyCar was just the way the pit road was set up with the two-sided pits. I mean, just... It, it, it was one of those things that Different. you didn't, re didn't realize how weird it was going to be until you saw it in action and saw guys going left and right and all sorts of ways into pit lane. So that was kind of an odd Yeah, phenomenon. but that being said, 
they made it work. They made it oh, work. Yeah. I don't know how. I thought it was gonna end. I thought it was gonna end in so much more chaos than it did. Yeah, I mean, I mean NASCAR's just, pit road was more dangerous than St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, let's face facts. There was there was one injury, one injury on pit road, and it wasn't on the dual pit road that IndyCar had. It was it was at this long narrow pit road that we've got at St. Louis, and obviously, you know. Pray, I mean, prayers out for the guy who was injured. We still really don't even have a ton of details as to as to how it happened they said or what that he, happened. The, the, the two crew members may have run into each other from the 43 team. Um, the Jackman may have run into – I'm not a, really even sure. There's no video or nothing that we've seen, and they're really kind of being tight-lipped about it. But, um, yeah, just a, a very strange, mysterious situation all around there. Yeah, it, it definitely kind of – you know, obviously anytime you see an ambulance come onto the track – it, it's a little bit alarming, but to not even have an understanding of how it happened and just, you know, you, it was very weird, kind of eerie as a fan to watch it. So obviously, you know, in our thoughts and prayers, hope, hope he gets well soon. Other than that, Bob, um, anything else that we need to talk I about mean, for I'll, this weekend well, racing? I've got two more things. And one of them is real quick. You didn't, you didn't catch the F1 race this morning. Didn't wake up for that. I don't, I, I think, you know, I did it. I think deep down in your heart, you know, I did it. Well, let me tell you, you didn't you didn't miss much. It was a uh, let me guess. Not, a red, uh, did, a, not, did a Red Bull did a Red Bull car win? It was it Max Verstappen. I uh, believe it or not, Red Bull is I believe seven for seven on the year now. Max Verstappen with his fifth win, I believe. Uh, oh, that's crazy. I mean, listen, it's 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 a great lead up. It's entertaining. The broadcast is well done, but man, the on track is just not it this year. And it's, and it's there's not no stra- anything, there's no real it's, pit strategy. It's one pit strategy, maybe at the end when everyone goes for fastest lap, everyone will pit again. But other than that, I mean, look, it's, it's just one I, of I'm not going to watch 15th place. I'm not going to watch you know Hulkenberg versus you know Joe for for 14th. Like, it's, yeah, there was on track passing, but it was at the very back. There was nothing for it, the front. Yeah, it's one of those years in F1 where the engineers have have successfully given Red Bull the title. They've just you know they've gone so far and above and beyond, and it and the the technology the technology and the advancement is in such a way that it's going to take a miracle for them to lose a race and you know you got to live with it I'm sure you know eventually F1 will step in and you know and and they'll and they'll make a change and kind of bring them back down to neutral a little bit but this is just the nature of the sport I mean I, obviously I'm not I don't follow F1 religiously but even I know some years you're going to go out there and somebody's going to be so right in the off season. This is going to happen, and it—it's it, obviously and that's, that's it the thing, though. I, I appreciate—I appreciate it's one with your 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 team in the in the home base. You know, it's it's the smartest people that win. Um, but that being said, it, it's never really in the driver's hands that much. Or if it is, it's very minimal. The, the driver makes a minimal difference. I mean, you could put the best driver in a Williams car right now, and it wouldn't make a difference. So um, yeah. that's why I think I like the IndyCar and NASCAR. Is just you know the driver talent matters. You can appreciate the F1's technology and the spectacle for what it is, but you know, I, I think everything does bring something different to the table there. Um, yeah, there's I a seat at the just, table for everyone here. I, I agree, and that's the thing. If you're into that more team aspect and you're into the engineering, then yeah, F1 is totally for you. But if you're just there for strict on-track product, when I tell you that there's better things out there, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there are better racing. There's better racing out there on the track than F1. Oh, much better. Are you telling me Jeb Bush or uh, Jeb? I'm not Jeb Bush. Jeb Burton fighting at uh, Portland Raceway against Chandler Smith. If Jeb Bush was fighting at Portland Raceway, that would be a lot bigger news. But uh, Jeb Burton throwing haymakers with Chandler Smith. Did you catch that ad? 
Yeah. Um, I didn't know he had it in him. I'm not going to lie. He started tossing the pillows around a little bit. I mean, it was, it was interesting to see. Um, you know, things get weird up there in the Pacific Northwest. So I, I'd like to say I'm surprised, but I'm just going to say it's a product of the area. We'll chalk it up to that. I don't know. It, it feels like that beef has been squashed. Maybe we leave that one up in Portland, but yeah, weird situation. And uh, Cole Custer with a, a win for Xfinity. We have to shout it out just because if uh, you know, if you've listened to our podcast, if you go way back to last season, you know that we have a love for Cole Custer. So uh, maybe one day he'll be back in our Cup Series and we can focus on him fully. But had to little had to throw the little little shout out in there for the old double zero Haas tooling. Ford Mustang in victory lane. Yeah. Um, at this point, I, I thought that, you know, they were, they were hitting each other so hard during that Portland race. I thought the DA was going to come and start filing charges. I mean, yikes. They were, dude, they, was bump, they were bumpering everyone in that race. <laughs> uh, they're in Portland. There's no such thing as a DA or filing charges. So moving forward, um, we are in Sonoma next weekend, wine country. It's the last race of the year with Mike Joy, Clint Boyer, and the Fox crew. So, Going to be missing Larry Mack and them, but um, we'll be moving to NBC after next week. Um, road course again. We'll see if Daniel Suarez can repeat. But um, is there anything that we missed here this uh, this uh, this episode? Is there anything else that's uh, that's itching, that's burning bright? No, I don't. I don't think so. The only thing really, you know, on fire would be the brake rotors. But yeah, man, other than that, pretty pretty standard weekend. Another good weekend of racing. Um, you know, death taxes, Kyle Larson starting the race like shit and somehow pulling it out to get himself a finish. It just keeps happening. And, yeah, man, it just I guess we move on. We, we move on. We'll be back for next week at Sonoma. As always, if you've been listening this far, you're 61 episodes into Breaking Balls. You might as well leave a, a like, a subscription, tell a friend, be a friend, send it to a friend. And, uh, of course, we will be back next week, weekend to recap it all. But, uh of course, until then, my friends, we will uh, we'll see you next time.